Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. The glasses hold yards of highly chosen to Australia. 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 In 1994, Keating, under the Keating government, promised that he would give the showgrounds in Sydney to Fox. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I do. Remember? Mm -hmm. And and this is just such a good example of it, actually. The film school was persuaded to move its premises from uh, Macquarie University, basically, North Ride, to be on the Fox site, the argument being that a nice new building could be built and that they would be closer to industry, right? You know, all of that. Then what's happened is they got their nice new building and they moved and then Fox has on-sold its lease to a consortium of people who involve Jerry Harvey and John Singleton who are now going to charge the film school enormous amounts of rent. They never had to pay rent before, and now they're going to pay enormous amounts of rent. So it's another huge hole in their budget. And everybody's just just haven't got uh, their eye on the ball. No, nobody's saying anything. I mean, that's a bit like when I was at Film Australia, and they were trying to sell Film Australia. They did actually succeed in selling the National Transmitter, which used to be yeah. a publicly owned thing. They sold the National Transmitter to Macquarie Bank. What a stupid idea! Them. I know which then sold it to a Canadian superannuation company, which, as far as I know, still owns it. But what that meant was that the ABC and SBS now, every year, out of their annual budgets, which are going down, not up, have to find enormous amounts of money to pay for their use of the national transmitter. Now, that's uh, the voice of Sharon Connolly, and you're on uh, Showreel with Annie, looking at various aspects of the Australian film and television world. Now, Sharon used to be, uh, is a filmmaker and a former CEO of Film Australia, the precursor to Screen Australia. She was the uh, CEO of, uh, 
of um, Film Australia in 1997 to 2004. Anyway, Sharon is describing how when it comes to government film funding, there are a number of ways corporations and business interests in tandem with government have invented many different ways of skinning the film funding rabbit. The main topic of the conversation I had recently with Sharon was actually about the recent sale of Lindfield Film Studios in Sydney and the money from that sale, the $35 million, being handed over by the Treasurer, Scott Morrison, to two multinational film companies, 20th, 20th Century Fox and Disney, to entice them into making the next Thor and Prometheus sequel films in Australia. Now, that's the topic of the uh, show today, so we'll go on with uh, my conversation with Sharon. Yeah, I used to be the CEO of Film Australia, which it, it was a government-owned company uh, established in 1946 by the Australian government in order to uh, make productions that would tell people in Australia and around the world about what life was like in our own country. And over the years after the Second War, that uh, company changed several times. Uh, it, it used to be called uh, the Commonwealth Film Unit, and then it became called Film Australia. Uh, and in later times, in the uh, 1980s and 90s, it actually became a government-owned company which made programs in the national interest, most of which were documentaries, the sort of things that many people would have seen, things like Cane Toads and Marbo, Life of an Island Man, Rats in the Ranks. That kind of production uh, was produced by Film Australia. Um, and... In the 60s, uh, the government decided that Film Australia needed a better home, so it invested significant resources in building a studio complex on Sydney's North Shore. And uh, over the years, that became less necessary for the company, which increasingly outsourced production activities around Australia, so people in many states were making films for Film Australia. And so the company decided it would share the Linfield premises with private sector companies in the screen sector. And so it was a very lively kind of centre of filmmaking. Now, when you were saying that uh, it was involved in uh, making uh, documentary films uh, that described uh, Australia to Australians and other people, were they private uh, companies that were then funded to do those documentaries or were they in-house? No, they were in-house until 1988, And then after 1988, uh, the uh, production was outsourced to an independent production sector in Australia, which had grown somewhat in years since the war, So, particularly in the 1970s and 80s. So when Film Australia was first established, it needed an in-house production uh, capacity because actually there wasn't that much of an Australian industry of any kind. It was pre-television also, of course. So it provided uh, editing suites and uh, equipment, that sort of thing? That's correct, and and officers for the Film Australia staff who commissioned the productions. But it was turned into a government-owned company in 88, and so most of the productions thereafter were made by independent filmmakers in cities around Australia, um, not only in Sydney. So... So the Linfield Studio was the site of the sort of core administration of Film Australia, which... By the time I left it in 2004, it was around about 50 people. And um, it was also home to a lot of independent film businesses that uh, rented uh, space out there. So 
in 2004, I left the company and four years later, um, it was decided by government that it would be merged with the Australian Film Commission and the Film Finance Corporation and the three agencies together would become a new thing called Screen Australia, which is the main film organisation run by the Commonwealth Government that we have today. In 2008, government decided to merge Film Australia with the Australian Film Commission and the Film Finance Corporation and a new entity was created called Screen Australia and Screen Australia inherited the ownership of the Linfield site uh, and it continued to be used as a sort of centre for filmmaking, if you like. Its spaces, offices and facilities were rented out to a number of private sector companies. So where is Linfield in Sydney? Where, where is it? Linfield is on Sydney's North Shore, Leafy Linfield it's often referred to. It's right. a, a very nice nice suburb and land there is very valuable as was eventually realised and uh, so Screen Australia somehow determined that it would sell the property and uh, it put it on the market I think last year uh, and it was marketed internationally as a prime residential development site. Um, there was a bit of discussion and I was part of this discussion uh, publicly at the time about what would happen to the proceeds of sale should it be sold. Um, and uh, a number of suggestions were raised. Of course, people like me raised a whole lot of ideas about how we might go on using the money from the Film Australia sale to fund um, programs in the national interest. And some people proposed that it might be used to plug some gaps in Screen Australia's funding. Um, Screen Australia had recently for instance, uh, decided to discontinue funding to the screen work organisations, organisations like Open Channel in Melbourne and Wide Angle Tasmania and Metro Screen in Sydney and there are also uh, similar organisations in Perth and South Australia. And now those, um, now those organisations are incredibly important for training future technicians, etc. Well, those, those organisations have existed in Melbourne's case for 40 years in Tasmania's case, it's only a 10-year-old organisation. But yes, they were very important training organisations for all sorts of people involved in filmmaking, technicians, creative people, uh, and people from the community who needed to learn skills in order to make programs that reflected their own interests. Um, in Tasmania, for instance, there are very few other training options, so it's one of the only things here. However, uh, sadly, uh, in Tasmania, that... Screen Network Organisation will close in June because Screen Australia said it was unable to go on funding those organisations. Some of us hoped that some of the Linfield money could be used to um, save those organisations. For instance, other people proposed that the money might be used to further Indigenous filmmaking, for example. How much money did they realise? $35 million? Uh, that's correct, yes. In the end, the, the, the site was sold and it, uh, it netted government $35 million. Which sounds a bit cheap, actually. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm not a real estate agent, thank goodness. <laughs> but um, um, uh, in fact, then the next thing we heard was that just before Christmas in the mid-year um, financial outlook, the Treasurer, Scott Morrison, announced very quietly... Uh, somewhere buried deep in, in his uh, other announcements at the time, that the $35 million realised from the sale of the Linfield property would go some way, not all of the way, 
to uh, making up the amount that had previously been promised to two very large American-based corporations, 21st Century Fox and Disney, to bribe them to come and make their new productions of Thor and Prometheus, respectively, uh, in Australia. So the sale of Film Australia, which was the iconic production company created in Australia's national interest and paid for by taxpayers for decades after the Second War, uh, the proceeds of sale of that property are being handed to two of the wealthiest American corporations we know of. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. And you're on on uh, showreel uh, on screen sister program on 3CR, a program that focuses on Australian film and television and moving images uh, industry. Uh, and uh, I'm talking to Sharon Connolly, who was the is a filmmaker and a former head of uh, Film Australia, be the precursor to Screen, uh, screen Australia. Now she's been talking about the sale of Lynn. Linfield, which is a uh, important location in uh, uh, was a very important sort of place, uh, Linfield Film Studios, which uh, was started uh, in the nineteen forties uh, to support Australian film production about Australia. Now, uh, as she said, the sale of the uh, property has uh, now been given over to two of the largest film companies in the world, uh, 20th Century Fox and uh, Disney, so that they can lure certain productions here. Anyway, we'll go on with uh, our conversation with Sharon Connolly. Not only has Australia, in handing over this $35 million, subsidised two enormously wealthy corporations that don't really need subsidy, I would have thought, um, but they're Though though the productions may be made in Australia or will be made in Australia will provide jobs for actors and jobs for technicians and other film personnel for a limited period of time, they won't leave behind anything of lasting significance in a number of ways. One, neither of those productions has any particular Australian relevance. They're obviously made for a world market and they're not speaking to Australians, they're not speaking about Australians. They may end up being very entertaining films, but I'm sure that Hollywood could find the resources to make those films itself. Um, Secondly, the intellectual property doesn't remain in Australia. So we've handed over a a, a resource that has existed in public hands since the 1940s. We've handed the proceeds of sale of that resource to wealthy companies who will leave behind nothing of lasting cultural value and not even anything of intellectual property value, if you like. No uh, ongoing benefit to the country. Let's go back to Screen Australia and its function as a, I imagine, an organisation that's supposed to be uh, auspicing uh, future Australian 
film and television and online talent. Uh, it's apparently had a, a lot of money taken out of its budget, but it obviously had no real control over this apparent windfall. Uh, no, obviously not. And uh, I, I think that would have been obvious to people at Screen Australia throughout the process. Um, certainly, when I was the CEO in 1997, there was consideration given to selling the Linfield site. And it was very clear to me at that time that had the site been sold then, the company, Film Australia, would not have benefited from the sale. It was always thought that the proceeds of sale would go back into government revenues. Now, I think in this case, that's precisely what's happened. My guess would be that when ministers of the government, and uh, I have to say the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Julie Bishop, was the one who made the announcement, though I'm not sure who made the decision to give money to 21st Century Fox and Disney. Because 21st Um, Century Fox is a Murdoch-owned company. uh, Correct, yeah. Um, uh, But when that decision was taken, uh, my suspicion is that Treasury was somewhat surprised and possibly felt that enough money had gone into film in Australia via various other schemes and that any new uh, funding decisions would have to be paid for from within the portfolio. Um, And I'm guessing here, but my my guess is that uh, Screen Australia suffered very badly from that because actually what was promise to those two productions was $47.3 million all up. So Film Australia's sale provided $35 million of that. The remainder of it has been made up by further cuts to Screen Australia, which had already suffered quite considerably in the previous budget. Uh, and also I understand that the National Film and Sound Archive and the Film School are other agencies which have had small cuts to make up the monies promised for production of Thor and Prometheus. My goodness. Uh, On the other side of all this, this sort of cut, is it distorting uh, the actual types of films that can be made as government withdraws its actual support to fledgling filmmakers? Um, Well, I would argue, yes. I, I think it's a very complex scenario. But look, let me say this. Since the creation of Screen Australia in 2008, I think it's fair to say that Australian uh, money originally earmarked as cultural subsidy has increasingly been uh, used as industry subsidy and increasingly to foreign-owned companies. So, uh, for example, uh, in 2013-14, something like 67% of Screen Australia's direct subsidy for television drama in Australia went to companies which are foreign-owned. And in a host of ways, not just direct subsidy, Screen Australia has promoted um, the kind of creation of screen businesses which, in order to survive as viable businesses, have inevitably had to uh, sell to foreign owners who therefore control uh, not only the decisions about what gets made, but the intellectual property involved in what finally does get produced. 
Now, let's go to documentary in particular. There's been a huge resurgence in the making of documentaries, and it's one of the areas that particularly uh, is able to deal with uh, up-close Australian stories, I'd I'd argue. Uh, Are there um, less and less, fewer and fewer things being made because of these cuts? Uh, oh, yes, I think money for documentary is one of the things that suffered as a result of Screen Australia's own appropriation being cut. So, yes, documentary funding is not uh, what it was. And also I would say that uh, more than a quarter of the documentary subsidy available via Screen Australia is also going to companies that, that are uh, foreign-controlled. So uh, anything that's produced primarily for TV and in Australia documentary, like much drama, is produced for TV rather than the big screen. Um, uh, Any subsidies going to TV production are often now going to overseas-owned companies. Why is that so? so? What's the justification for that? uh, Well, (laughs) there hasn't been much talk about justification for that because... Uh, I have to say Screen Australia very quietly changed its guidelines in 2010 to drop the requirement that uh, applicants for funding through Screen Australia should be Australian-controlled companies. Um, Why? So uh, that that happened with very little consultation indeed, actually. Um, uh, I think the justification is a business one, that Screen Australia was established on very different... um, underpinnings than an agency like, say, Film Australia. Film Australia was created in order to make programs in the national interest. Screen Australia was created to fund productions produced by what they hoped would be sustainable Australian production companies. Now, a quick look at the market conditions in which screen businesses operate would show anybody that Australia is not a sufficiently large market in and of itself to be able to make uh, large-scale productions viable. It just doesn't happen that way. And so if a company is going to be a sustainable business, it has to engage actively with the rest of the world, uh, particularly the English-speaking world. And, of course, what happens in the end is um, a company that's good and a company that's producing good stuff is going to, you know, want to go on doing that and in order to want to to go on doing that it needs the kind of venture capital that only larger much larger overseas owned corporations are going to provide so we've seen uh, a number of takeovers happen in the sector uh, and we've also seen overseas companies coming in to um, take advantage of uh, relaxed subsidy guidelines and offsets uh, created by government since 2008 foreign companies can see that there's some advantage to them in having Australian subsidiaries and they come in and, and use those to hoover up the, uh, the available public monies. So I guess what I'm saying is that I think since 2008, what used to be cultural subsidy has increasingly become industry subsidy. And in my view, I think it's time we had a good look at that and started to look at the implications for our culture. Uh, which includes some of the things you ask questions about, like the training, you know, if we're not training people anymore through the screen network organisations, um, if we're training people through the film school, which, of course, is only based in Sydney, to um, uh, to engage with the international world of film production, then 
who's being trained to make sure that we capture our own uh, record of Australian life um, or to make films that reflect our own interests. Uh, so there's a whole lot of cultural questions, I think, that arise from not having an industry which is at least part of, which is controlled from Australia and uh, decisions are made in Australia about what would get made. And it seems to me the cultural subsidy should be delivered on that basis. Industry subsidy is something else altogether. Hi, my name is Rolf De Heer. I don't live in Melbourne. I live across the water in Tasmania. But if I did live in Melbourne, my number one radio station would be 3CR because it's about community and community matters. And you're on Showreel with Annie and we're talking with Sharon Connolly who's giving us a little bit of an understanding of the complexities of uh, government funding for uh, film, supporting uh, filmmaking and uh, uh, TV and online uh, productions uh, from in Australia and, and also how uh, a lot of this uh, is being uh, siphoned off in ways that you wouldn't have expected out of the hands of uh, local producers into foreign foreign hands. The uh, major focus of this interview was about the uh, sale of Linfield uh, 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 Studios in Sydney, which uh, garnered $35 million, which was promptly given over to two multinational companies to produce... Uh, the next Thor film, and uh, Prometheus, uh, the sequel. That's uh, 20th Century Fox, our friend uh, Murdoch, and uh, Disney. And uh, this uh, is so it's called a, a win for Australia because it will uh, employ actors and technicians. But as uh, Sharon has pointed out, for a very short period of time, and it might be pointed out too that the technicians and actors are increasingly able to be mobile and uh, able to work in foreign clients without any uh, need for support in the local industry. But anyway, we'll move on to a very last little snippet of Sharon's piece. Now, it's very interesting because it's a, a, a government that quite clearly can't differentiate between the notion of telling Australian stories and uh, the desire to big note itself on the international scene. I think that's a very good point. And I think increasingly Australians can't. I, I think we need to think about how we educate people on this question too because I think for many Australians, they think Australia's... And, and they're encouraged by the media and the politicians to think this is the case, to think that Australians are doing all right if you know Russell Crowe and Kate Blanchett pop up in big Hollywood blockbusters occasionally. Um, uh, and, of course, that is not the case. Um, uh, terrific that Australia has talent that can work around the world. You know, I don't have any problem with that at all, and I think they're both both those names are terrific actors, and many of the um, directors and other talented people working elsewhere, in and out of Australia, they're all marvellous talents, and that's great. You know, but they don't so, need but they don't need a subsidy. They're uh, already well, doing it. No, they don't need subsidy, and the companies that are producing the material that they're in don't need the subsidy. What we need is the subsidy to be focused on people here to develop their skills and talents so that they can go on to either 
take the place of the Russell Crows and the Cape Blanchards, or indeed to make things here that uh, that international uh, companies will never want to make. I mean, there are so many Australian subjects and um, stories that people uh, are obviously very interested in seeing, but why would Hollywood produce them? I mean, I think that we've had some good examples of this. Well, we have. Uh, the um... Yeah. Two films recently that st- that spring to mind: Last Cab to Darwin, and also The Dressmaker. That's, I was just going to say The Dressmaker. I think yeah. that uh, that film is so quintessentially Australian, and the yeah. box office has actually proven it. Well, yeah. over- some overseas people are just completely bemused by it. Exactly, I think that's absolutely right. They are very Australian productions, and they've done very well domestically. People in Australia want to see them. But it's not necessarily the case that overseas audiences will want to see them. I I certainly hope they do, and that would be great if they did. But the measure of success should not be whether an international audience wants to see them. The measure of success should be whether Australians are getting uh, a sort of cultural return on their taxes that go toward... um, supporting production in Australia. And I, I think this is, I mean, I think that's the nub of it, and I think that's what we've got to start really thinking about. What is industry policy and what is cultural policy? Well, that was Sharon Connolly, and I'll have to say that I share her anger. Uh, Australian taxpayers bought dollars to support two of the biggest multinational uh, entertainment companies. Uh, yes, for some employment outcomes, but uh, and some say uh, uh, indirect uh, employment and uh, buying uh, buying of uh, services and skills. But uh, you have to look at it in the long term, and I'm sure most people are, are completely unaware that their uh, tax dollars are not seeding grants for local filmmakers. Anyway, coming up next is uh, Published or Not, and we're going to go out with uh, Epitaph by Kim Crimson. Annie, signing off. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.